Well, today we are continuing uh, right where we left off last week, right in the middle of chapter 7 of the book of Acts in the Brit Chadashah, right? We're talking about Stephen. So just a little bit of uh, uh, a, a little bit of a refresher of uh, what's happening uh, in uh, the book of Acts, right? So what we've been saying is for weeks now uh, that what we're reading about is the beginning of the restoration of, of Israel, right? Uh, promises that God made uh, through the prophets, through Moses and the prophets, are beginning to come to pass. And Peter kicks that off with uh, recognizing that what was promised in the book of Joel is beginning to uh, come to pass. And that was the pouring out uh, of the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, as we would say uh, in Hebrew. And uh, Peter speaks uh, very clearly to say that Yeshua is like the greatest uh, Jewish person who ever lived, the glory of Israel. Uh, and he quotes the prophets, he quotes Moses, he quotes the Psalms to say this is about the Messiah. And what you're seeing and hearing is because the Messiah has come and, and he has been manifested. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father and now he has poured out the Ruach. And then we read another, uh, another event happens, a, a healing of this uh, man who was lame. And then Peter explains that. And it's like part two of his... Uh, explanation uh, about what it means that indeed the Messiah uh, has come. And then we read narrative of uh, Peter preaching away and continually getting arrested and, and, uh, and the council of the Sanhedrin wringing their hands. They don't know what to do with him. Uh, and they keep warning him, don't do this anymore. And, and he says, well, I have to obey God and not man. And he goes right back to it and and, uh, and where they are, they're not in some remote place, you know. He's right there in the temple uh, compound area, right? So it's not like he goes off to a corner somewhere and is like in the underground messianic congregation. Uh, and nobody knows what's going on except for a few people. No, it's like out in the open. He must know, you know, what's, what's going to happen, but he can't help himself. It's the calling of God, this tremendous boldness. And isn't it amazing when you compare Peter before, before that, when he won't even admit to knowing Yeshua, right? Uh, now that the Ruach has been poured out, we see he's like a different person. He has this uh, tremendous boldness, right? And so then uh, we read about also about the doings of that first Messianic congregation. And we read about uh, his great things. They were unified. They were serving one another. Then we read that, uh, you know, there were some issues. You had this couple who lied about uh, money that they uh, were supposed to be giving and, and uh, how they died right on the spot, Ananias and Sapphira. We read that. And then uh, we read that there was another issue, and that was there was a social issue in this congregation, that among the Jewish people in Jerusalem, it was, it was a cosmopolitan city. You had different kinds of Jewish people. You had what we generally call Jerusalem Jews, and then we could call them like Mediterranean Jews, Jews who lived along the Mediterranean in different, in different places, uh, and, uh, and how uh, many of them had come to Jerusalem. So they were more Greek-speaking, Greek-speaking Jews. 
uh, as opposed to Hebrew-speaking Jews. And the culture was a little bit different, a little bit of a maybe a Hellenistic culture among, among uh, some of these Jewish people. And here in the Messianic congregation, they're all thrown in together, right? Doesn't it sound familiar, right? They're thrown in together. Uh, you know, it is kind of interesting as I look out over everyone here, and it is amazing the, uh, the combination of folks uh, that come to Beth Messiah, you know? And so it's, it's kind of fun that way. All right, so uh, what happened? That the Hellenistic widows uh, evidently were not uh, being paid enough attention to in their needs being met. And so they bring it to the, um, the, uh, the apostles, and uh, we talked all about it, how they delegate this responsibility. And they were seven uh, men, probably Hellenistic Jews, who are living in Jerusalem, are raised up uh, to serve uh, those folks in the, in the congregation, right? Okay. Then uh, we see that one of them uh, is a man named Stephen. He's one of the people uh, that are raised up. Uh, and uh, he's a man full of the spirit of, uh, full of the spirit of God. And, and, and interestingly enough, he's the first one uh, who is, uh, who is uh, mentioned. Uh, there in Acts chapter uh, 6, uh, in verse 5, it says, In the statement found approval with the whole congregation, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then it mentions Philip after that. All right. Then last time we saw that Stephen uh, is evidently has a relationship with a Hellenistic synagogue in Jerusalem. It's called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. Uh, and they don't like what he's uh, saying, you know, uh, about uh, the Messiah. Uh, and uh, so just to give uh, the whole thing some context, I'll just repeat a little part of where we were uh, last week. And so it says in verse 8 of chapter 6, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And some men uh, from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including Cyrenians, Alexandrians, Cilia, and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. These are clearly Hellenistic Jews. Uh, yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They, they could not... Shut them down, okay? Uh, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. You know, that's really strong terminology, blasphemy. One thing might be he's saying some wrong things. You know, he's, he's off a little bit. He says blasphemous things uh, against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came... Uh, upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. So they made up charges that he's speaking uh, godless things uh, about Moses and, and about God, and they take him to the Sanhedrin. Then it says in verse 13, and they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place, i.e. against the temple and against the Torah. So if you get people to say, this guy is speaking against God, Moses, the Torah, and the temple, I mean, that's pretty bad. You know, it doesn't get much worse than that because these are four great pillars of Jewish value. 
And so if there's an accusation of this, then, of course, uh, it, uh, it makes sense to come against someone like that because uh, we uh, certainly want, wouldn't want someone speaking blasphemous words against God, Moses, uh, the, the, uh, the temple, and, and the Torah, right? Uh, and so here, uh, he's before, Stephen is before the Sanhedrin. It says, now in verse 14, for we have found, we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Yeshua, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. So last time we looked where Yeshua says that, uh, you know, uh, it's in Matthew chapter 24 and, and also in the Gospel of Luke and, and in Mark as well, uh, that you're, we're looking at the, the great buildings, but the day is going to come when they will, they will uh, come down. And he's speaking this prophetically. He's not speaking against it, like it's bad, like the temple is bad, but that's how it uh, was understood. Uh, and then we read, fixing their gaze on him, on Stephen, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. So they saw that something different about this guy. And, uh, and then at the very beginning of chapter 7, the high priest says, are these things true? Is what everybody's saying about you true? Okay. Now, the rest of chapter 7, Stephen's speech is his answer to that question, right? And what did we say last time? Uh, there's some really interesting things about this speech. One, he never says yes or no. The high priest is, is like putting him in a corner, but Stephen does not feel obligated to say yes or no. What he does is he takes the opportunity to explain that the coming of the Messiah and the attitude of the very people who are accusing him is actually part of Jewish history. It's all in the context of Jewish history. And by placing the whole story in the context of Jewish history, he's saying, there's no blasphemy here. I'm not speaking against the temple. I'm not speaking against the, the Torah. And he's going to explain himself. And we said last time, he starts out in uh, the right way, right? Nobody's going to argue with Abraham. So he talks about our father Abraham and what God did with Abraham and the promises God made with Abraham. He's speaking very highly of Abraham. He's speaking very highly of the land at the beginning of the speech. And then he talks about Joseph. You know, we love Joseph, right? You know, and he tells the story of Joseph. And I would suggest that he jumps to Joseph uh, because Joseph was not understood by his brothers. And Joseph was persecuted by his brothers. But Joseph ended up being a deliverer uh, for the Jewish people, right? And Stephen is making, beginning to make a point here about uh, there seems to be a, a trend uh, in our history. And so he talks about Joseph and the deliverance. And then that morphs into the story of Moses, right? And he tells uh, the story of Moses uh, and how Moses was raised up and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and all of that. Uh, and then uh, what we, uh, we see is that he reminds the people uh, in verse 37, this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God shall raise up to you, up before you, a prophet like me from your, uh, from your brethren. This is, he's reminding them, the great Moses, 
uh, who says that, you know, there's going to be one who's going to come after me. And, and these people were aware of what Peter had preached, that Yeshua is, uh, you know, uh, indeed that one. And then he talks about the living oracles that were given. He speaks very highly of the Torah. He speaks very highly of Moses. He speaks obviously very highly of God. So there's no blasphemy here. So he's demonstrating it. He doesn't say, no, I'm not speaking blasphemy. No, he demonstrates in telling the story uh, how, how he is part of this people. That he's saying, I am you. You are me. We're part of this people. And God raised up Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, and, uh, and uh, Joseph and Moses. And he's not telling them something they've never heard here, but he's reminding them uh, of this. But then when you come to verse 39, and this is where we left off. In verse 39, he says, And our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. And uh, there's a whole narrative of that in Numbers chapter 14, uh, where uh, the people say they, you know, this refrain, we came out into the wilderness to die. Better we should have stayed where we were in Egypt. Let's pick another leader and go back to Egypt. They repudiated, they rejected him. That's what the word means in, in Greek. They rejected uh, Moses. Now, that's very strong language. Moses, in the Jewish world, there's nobody greater than Moses. Moshe Rabbeinu, we, we say, Moses, our, our, our teacher, right? Uh, and, uh, and here, uh, what is happening is Stephen is not saying anything bad about Moses. He's saying something about the people, right? That Moses has been rejected. Now, when we read this, as well as other, certain other passages in the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant, such as like Matthew 23, you know, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, woe unto you, you know, another place in the Gospel of John, you're of your father the devil, right? Uh, uh, another place, Paul says, they're filling up uh, the cup of wrath in uh, 1 Thessalonians, right? And then you have here uh, Stephen seemingly speaking negatively to the people. We, what this is like, and you may be able to relate this if you have siblings, okay? And definitely if you come from like a strong ethnic background, okay? So let's say uh, we have three people in a restaurant, two brothers and a friend, all right? So uh, brother A says to brother B, what's the matter with you? Look, your shirt doesn't match your pants. Everything's wrinkled. You got a stain on your shirt. When are you going to get a job? When are you going to do something with your life? You know, and just going after his brother. And then uh, the friend sitting at the table interjects to the, same, to the same brother. Yeah, you know, he's right. When are you going to get a job? Well, suddenly, brother A, the one who started the whole thing, stands up and turns to the friend and says, hey, you cannot talk to my brother like that. You know? You leave him alone. In fact, get out of here. I'm done with you. Right? So, now, the, uh, the friend seems to be agreeing with this guy. But, but, you don't, you have to be very careful in an intra-family uh, kind of uh, uh, communication. 
right? There's some things that family members could say that other people can't, right? So when we are reading these statements between Yeshua and the Pharisees, or Stephen and the council, or other play Peter and the council, uh, or Paul talking about his uh, kinsmen, the, the Jewish people, we are reading an, an inter-Jewish kind of communication. And we have to be very careful and really frame it that way, because what happens when we're not familiar with that, we come away with, these people are bad. We come away with, oh, those terrible Pharisees. Or, oh, the Jewish people, they're all stiff-necked, you know, and uh, stubborn, and, and this and that. And that is not the intention of the text at all, in fact. So it's very important that when we're reading the words of Stephen, we understand that he is not against these people. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. He is, he is in a Jewish setting with Jewish people explaining himself. And uh, I think that's very interesting. All you need to do is read a book by a man by the name of Louis Finkelstein called The Pharisees. I don't know if you ever heard of that book. Very interesting book. Uh, and in there, he talks about the, uh, the relationship of the Hillelites and the Shamites, which were the two main groups of, of Pharisees, and how they speak about each other in unrepeatable language. All right? They didn't hate each other, but they were making a point, you know? And uh, so very important uh, uh, to get, especially in this speech, because you read what some, how some people talk about it, you get the idea that Stephen was like against them. You know, they're, they're bad. No, he, far, you know, that couldn't be farther from the truth. He is telling them something that they already know, right? That, that the people uh, turned away from uh, Moses. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him in their heart and, and, and in their heart turned back to Egypt saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. And at that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works uh, of their hands. So he's saying this, this is our history. The brothers rejected Joseph. The people rejected Moses. Yet they were deliverers that God had raised up. And now what he's going to do, he's going to, go, he's going to say, in essence, this is not only taking place in the wilderness, but all throughout our history. And he's going to quote one of the prophets, and that's the prophet Amos. So then in verse 42, he says, But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven. When it says God turned away and delivered them up, that's like a judgment. Saying, so okay, it's like what you read in the first chapter of Romans. God gave them over to their desires. You know what I mean? Uh, as, a, as a chastisement. So God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. And this comes from Amos chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. And he's quoting the Septuagint, the Greek uh, uh, translation. Uh, it was not to me that you offered of victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness. Was it, O house of Israel? In other words, he's saying, I, even when you were in the wilderness, your heart was not in it. You know, you may have been doing offerings, 
uh, but your heart uh, was not in it. And that becomes apparent by the idolatry that you practice them and that you're practicing now. And then we have in the Septuagint, it says, and you took along the tabernacle of Moloch uh, and the star of the god Ramtha, the images which you made to worship them. I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Now, if you go and you look in, uh, in uh, Amos, it's very interesting that uh, the, the words that are used are descriptions of planets. Uh, and it's actually Saturn. It's, <laughs> when, when you look at, at uh, the words uh, that, that are used, stars and planets, but very interesting, if you look it up, you see, oh, that's the word for Saturn, right? Uh, and uh, in uh, uh, what, what Amos is doing, though, is saying, in, uh, in other words, back in, back in the wilderness, your heart was not in it. And to this day, your heart is not in it. And you are bringing offerings to all kinds of foreign gods and, uh, you know, gods of the Assyrians uh, and planets and stars and, and uh, Moloch, which and that is a term that refers to a very heinous form of, uh, of idolatry, right? In other words, he's describing a very horrible, uh, horrible situation uh, among the people. And he says, and as a result, you're going to go to Babylon. So Stephen quotes this particular passage from Amos to say that even the prophets uh, uh, see this, and the prophets spoke about this idolatry of all forms, whether it's a golden calf uh, or worshiping stars and planets, uh, you know, that uh, uh, we continue to reject what God has given us, and we end up going into captivity because of it. So then uh, he says uh, in verse 44, you know, he's saying, our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness. God gave us the right worship in the wilderness. He's saying basically we rejected it, but God gave us uh, the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern which we had seen. That's this week's Torah portion, <laughs> right? And having received it in their turn, our fathers brought it in with Joshua upon dispossessing the nations whom God drove out before our fathers until the time of David. So he's not telling all of history, but he's making this point that God keeps bringing deliverers and the right way to worship, and we keep rejecting it, Okay. Uh, and you'll notice he says over and over again, our fathers, our fathers. He doesn't say your fathers. He doesn't say your people. Uh, he doesn't say you Israelites. You know, he's speaking about us, our people. I'm part of this people, Stephen is saying. There's no blasphemy here. He's basically reminding them of what it says in the Torah and in the prophets. Okay. All right. Uh, and now uh, we see in verse 46, And David found favor in God's sight and asked that he might find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. And it was Solomon who built a house for him. Now, so he comes all the way to, we you know, God gave us the tabernacle, and then we got to the land, and after it was 400 years or so, uh, the temple was built. 
He's not saying anything bad about the temple. When you read the history, it was not a, a sin to build the temple. Okay? He's not saying anything bad about the temple. All right? What is he doing? This is what he says. He's giving a little a theology about uh, who God is and the nature of God. He says in verse 48, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet said. Now he quotes uh, Isaiah here. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Of what place is there for my repose? Was it not my hand which made all these things? So he's not, he's not saying anything other than what the prophets say. And, and what is Isaiah getting at? Uh, Isaiah is getting at what he's saying to the people is, if you read it in Isaiah 60 and 61, that yes, God gave us the temple, but God is greater than the temple. And Stephen is making a point uh, about God and the temple, that the temple is not an end unto itself. The one we're worshiping is God who's greater than the house, not the house. Now, why does he bring this up and why does this become a game changer? Why does now uh, Stephen, now right after he says this, he's going to give the application, which is basically going to get him killed, okay? But he stops uh, telling the history right after this point, okay? What he's doing is he's dealing with an issue that has plagued, uh, we could say, plagued our people uh, throughout uh, biblical history uh, and post-biblical history. And that is, and we see it right in our Haftorah portion uh, today, that this came to be known, this issue came to be known as a temple theology versus a Torah theology. Okay? The temple theology was centered on the priesthood and the importance of the uh, temple itself. A Torah theology is we need to obey God. We're, we're called to have a a heart for him, a Shema kind of heart, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and, and, and strength, mind and strength, as we read in the Brit Chadasha and the New Covenant. It's not just about having a temple. It's not just about the temple furniture. It's not just about, uh, as we would say today, we would apply that today, it's not just about singing songs or going to a service or having a nice building or you've got to have a heart for God. It's not just about uh, the accoutrements. You have to have a heart uh, uh, that goes with that. And that's why in, um, uh, uh, in, the Torah, in the Haftorah portion, in 1 Kings, in chapter 5 and 6, did you notice, did you think to yourself uh, when uh, we were reading 1 Kings chapter 5 and 6, man, it's just like, it's, it's like um, the directions uh, to uh, building a model or something. You know, it's like really boring. It's like part A goes on to part B, uh, you know. But before you do that, uh, you need to do this. And, and you know how it is, especially if you're a dad, right? You get all the way to the end and then you realize, oh, no, I forgot to do this thing first. And then it tests, it tests the level of your sanctification like nothing else does, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and so that's kind of like what you see here, right? All these instructions. And in the middle of the instructions, 
in the middle of the instructions, we have this interjection. Okay, we have the instructions, part A to part B, part B to part C. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, this is in verse 11 of 1 Kings 6, concerning this house which you are building, if you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word which uh, I spoke to David your fathers. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and I will not forsake my people. And then right after that, it says, then he built the walls of the house on the inside with boards and cedar. In other words, it's like interjected. It's like screaming at us. It's not about the boards and the kind of wood, you know. Uh, you, might, you might build this house perfectly, but it will be nothing if you are not obeying me, if you don't have a heart for me. That's what he's saying. Now, in the prophets, this becomes crystal clear in the seventh chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is standing on the steps of the temple, and he says, Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As I said in our, um, in our uh, MSI class on Monday night, my guess is, is that his voice was like three octaves higher, like when he said this. You know, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Quit saying the temple of the Lord as if the, as if the temple is some kind of good luck charm. Remember, that's what our ancestors did with the Ark of the Covenant when they fought against the Philistines. You read it in 1 Samuel. They thought it was like a good luck charm. We have the, uh, we have the Ark of the Covenant. We can't lose, right? Well, what does God do? He allows the Philistines to capture the Ark of the Covenant. See? Because it's not about the furniture. It's about the heart. See? And then he says, if you will truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, and he goes on and on, then I will dwell in your midst. So here in Acts, this is what he's, this is what he's getting at. Don't be so concerned that the Messiah said the temple is going to fall. Be more concerned about why that might be. Be more concerned about repenting. Be more concerned uh, about the, uh, the sins. Uh, Yeshua is not speaking negatively about Judy. There was no ism at the time. There wasn't even a Judaism. But he's not speaking negatively about Jewish life or Jewish worship or, or any of that. Uh, you know, quite clearly in the early chapters of Acts, where do we find everything happening? We find it happening in the temple. I mean, it's quite clear, right? So this is what he says. And that is a great lesson for us as well, that we don't fall into that trap of symbolism means spirituality. You know, I'm wearing a Star of David, or, or if, you know, if you come from a Christian background, a, a traditionally, I'm wearing a cross. That means, like, now I'm safe. No, it doesn't mean that at all, okay? I, I, what is important is having a heart uh, uh, for a God, right? So now in verse 51, now he can't help himself. This is what I'm getting at, everybody, okay? This is what he's saying. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, who betray, who, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. 
You who received the Torah, the law, as ordained by angels, and yet did not keep it. So now this is what he's saying. Now, he says this because he's giving a defense uh, before the Sanhedrin. Okay? Uh, And so, clearly, you can read in Exodus chapter 33 about the people being obstinate. And the, 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 in the Septuagint, the word for obstinate, you are an obstinate people, is translated stiff-necked uh, in the New Covenant, right? Obstinate, you won't listen, right? And uncircumcised in heart, clearly. Read Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 25, okay? Uh, uncircumcised in heart, you're circumcised yet uncircumcised in heart. All Stephen is doing is saying exactly what the prophet said. There is no uh, blasphemy here uh, at all. And so when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Yeshua standing at the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He says this out loud. He says he sees it, but it says he said this. Okay. When he says, I, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, he is saying, I see one like a Son of Man in the clouds. This comes right from Daniel chapter 7. And he is identifying Yeshua as no mere man here. He is using the terminology that Yeshua himself used, referring to himself as the Son of Man. And as we know, Son of Man is not talking about uh, him in his humanity. It's talking about him as the one from Daniel chapter 7, uh, who, is like a, who is like a man, but is no mere man. And this put them over the edge, right? He sees Yeshua at the right hand of the Father, the one whom David called Lord, Right? And this is where they, they just can't take it anymore, right? But they cried out with a loud voice, covered their ears, and they rushed upon him with one impulse. They, they were like a mad crowd now, right? Not only does he uh, say that, hey, we're no different than our ancestors, uh, you know, in uh, uh, rejecting whom God sends, but on top of it, look what he's calling this Nazarene. Look what he's saying uh, about him. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Introducing Saul, right? There he is, right? Introducing Saul. Now, we'll be reading more about him, but this is how Luke works. You see, he weaves it all together. Uh, And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Now, what's very interesting about the very end of this, okay, they, they kill him because he is confronting them with their sins. He's, he's, he's countering the blasphemy. He's countering the lies. He is telling the real truth, not, uh, not lies, which they were assuming about him. But he's telling the real truth, and uh, it, uh, it costs him his life. 
but he sees Yeshua uh, at the right hand of God, as it says. But look what he says to uh, uh, what he says. He says, Lord Yeshua, receive my spirit. I'm not going to take the time, but you can look uh, in the uh, gospel uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and you will see that this is, this is what Yeshua says to God, right? He says to God on the, when he's dying, you know, receive my spirit, okay? And then when he says, uh, when it says here, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's only in the Gospel of Luke that we read, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. So what's really interesting is when Yeshua is dying, he says similar things to uh, uh, similar things as Stephen says. Or I should say it the other way around. Stephen says similar things to what Yeshua is saying. But he attributes it to Yeshua. That is really fascinating. They did not want to hear this, but clearly we see that, that Stephen is saying that Yeshua is identified with what God does that Yeshua is identified with, with, uh, with God. And that is his last testimony with his last breath is that you are rejecting the God of Israel. Rejecting the Messiah isn't just like rejecting some theological uh, you know, truth or, or uh, uh, erasing uh, one little uh, piece of doctrine. Other than that, we're all, it's all good. No, he is saying you are rejecting uh, the God of Israel, okay? Uh, and it's interesting because what did Gamaliel, the great Rabban Gamaliel, say in Acts chapter 5? He said, if you come against them, beware, because you might end up be fighting against God. And so how, you know, how important is it? And let me just close with this. Uh, with his last uh, piece here, because we're going to run out of time. Uh, and that is, I had someone um, uh, uh, send me a message uh, the other day and, and says, this, someone I never heard of before, said, uh, I'd like to know, uh, do you believe that Jesus is God? Now, that is a absolutely loaded question. He's like, where, who is this and where is this coming from? Uh, you know, so I want you to, I want to read what I wrote. Because you talk about answering the person, here we go. Hello, we believe that Yeshua is the Messianic king and suffering servant of whom the prophet spoke. He rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father. It, uh, as it says in the New Covenant Scriptures, he is the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. He forgives sins and is identified with all that God does. He is the word made flesh. He is Messiah and Lord. Have a nice day. Okay? Uh, and so then I got a response. I appreciate what you said, but you ignored the question. That's what he said. You ignored the question? Okay? So then I said, hello. I was not ignoring your question. Uh, I do not know who you are or your intentions. I answered by trying to explain how we understand Yeshua. I wrote that he forgives sins. He's Lord. He upholds all things by the word of his power. I was answering using scriptural words and terminology. In other words, not statements from uh, the Nicene Creed uh, or church fathers who are not written with Jewish ears and Jewish sensibilities and sensitivities, you know? 
I, and so I said, but I have cut and pasted to you a portion of our, of our statement of faith, which comes from the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregation. There is one God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Every divine action in the world is accomplished by the Father working through the Son and the power of the Spirit. And I went on and on. So, so that I could use terms that uh, this person that then at least uh, would not think I was beating around the bush. But you see, when we explain these things, we do it like Stephen does that we, use, we, we explain it in, in, with Jewish sensibilities. And this, is, this ended up getting him uh, uh, killed. And so what is our takeaway? Our takeaway first is, let's heed the words of Stephen. And remember that it's about our relationship with God, and it's not about tradition, it's not about the temple, it's, it's not about uh, all those things, it's about him. Obviously, the temple is good, a synagogue is good, it should be beautiful and, and represent who God is, and, and traditions are like, um, are like the framework of a house, kind of. It helps us to understand who we are, they're all good, but they're not good if we see them as that's the thing. They're all vehicles, see? They need to be filled up with Yeshua, and that is what Stephen was getting at. He was interrupted in the speech. He didn't get the chance to say, repent, or, or turn to Yeshua. He got interrupted. That's why it's the longest speech in the book of Acts, and he never mentions Yeshua. It's kind of interesting, because he got cut off, right? Uh, that's, that's one takeaway. Another takeaway is, may we have the boldness of, uh, may we have the boldness of Stephen, and may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of what we know and truly believe about Messiah Yeshua, but may we be able to frame it in a way that we're not saying, you know, we've taken over. <laughs> You're no good. Or, or you blew it and join up with us now. Or, you know, uh, very important uh, that we understand the context here uh, of, uh, you know, of speaking using Jewish sensibilities, simply quoting scriptures uh, and identifying himself as part of that history. Right, and uh, and so uh, may uh, may we be people uh, who respond not only not only uh, preach the word but respond to this and live this kind of way as a messianic uh, congregation of Jews and Gentiles from the nations whoever we may be uh, and may people be able to see that uh, and know uh, the Lord and so Luke uh, gives us this understanding of what was going on in the Hellenistic uh, Jewish uh, community and the bringing of the word in the Hellenistic Jewish community. Next week, we will be a little bit more introduced to uh, Paul, to Saul, and then we're going to read about another one of those seven men uh, who were serving the tables, and his name is Philip, uh, and we'll talk about him next time. Well, let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, Thank you, God, for, uh, for this great word from Stephen. And uh, God, may we realize that he was speaking out of a loving heart, not out of a condemning heart, and simply saying, we, we've got to move forward from our history of rejecting the messengers whom God sends. Uh, Lord, uh, I know that uh, Yeshua spoke about this when he talked about the vineyard and sending workers into the vineyard and then sent his own son and, you know, and they all get killed. Lord, it's sort of teaching the same kind of truth. 
God, uh, Yeshua wept over Jerusalem. Stephen died for, uh, uh, for this message. And, uh, and so may we have that kind of boldness. May we be able to say, you know, like Paul does later on, to live as Messiah and to die as gain, Lord. And may we be, have the sensitivity to be able to present the message in the moment the way it needs to be heard. And uh, God, we thank you for these things in Yeshua's name.